Hello, sinners, saints, brothers, and sisters. I am so glad that you're here for another episode where we will inevitably explore our joy, shake our fists, and try to find our way in the midst of this chaotic world. Sinner Saint Sister really hopes to remind people that you are never, ever alone. So if you like today's episode, please share it with a friend. Maybe share it with your Bible study. Leave a review and like and subscribe. Look for extras on YouTube at youtube.com slash Allison Sullivan. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center State Sister. Center Saint Sister has become for me an opportunity to give a microphone to the saints among me who are living their lives and fulfilling their callings and serving their people with humility and wisdom. They tell their intricate life stories and they spell out their life lessons. And these conversations bring clarity to my life. They help me live it in a more holy way. We commune together knowing that we will never be holy enough, not on our own. Together, amidst the imperfections of all of our lives, we sit down and we try to reconcile our sinfulness with our godliness, our sinner and our saint, our dust and our divinity, to live an identity that is always struggling between good and evil. And there's something about doing it together, about being in communion with one another in this intimate way that I am certain proclaims the gospel. The gospel is proclaimed when we love each other. And that's what this life is about. I feel like I found my stride connecting people so that we can bring good news because what else are we here to do? In the midst of our pain and suffering, our episodes prove that life isn't necessarily easy. There's war and disease and death, but the core of the gospel is good news. We are reconciled to God and to one another through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the world desperately needs this good news. We need our shame taken and our hearts healed and our wounds bound. We need freedom. But how can that message that we are reconciled to God and to each other through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how can that message have any credibility at all when Christians can't sit knee to knee and be unified? How can we take a message of communion out into the world when we so easily let disagreements divide us? Our gospel mission is to make the church we love a sign of wholeness to the world so that the world might be intrigued. Unity and mission, communion and evangelization, they are inextricably linked. Visible unity is a critical dimension of our witness. And if our unity is not a unity that the world can see, then it falls short for what Jesus prayed. And yes, this is a big project, but it's God's project. And God's vision is to move us forward while we tap into love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. Unity is already ours. He did it. And it was costly. Unity, it's not ours to create, but it is ours to maintain. Using the fruit of the Spirit, we pursue God-sized projects. We live in a time of, of not yet and now. Yes, Christian unity is ours. It's already here, but not yet fully and maybe never fully here on earth because maybe full communion can only be realized coming face to face with the love of God. Not yet. But now, God is on the move. And I feel a shift of hope and freedom and grace over fear. We can choose gentleness and beauty over cynicism and anger. And Father Josh Johnson is such a vivid example of everything I have ever hoped Center Saint Sister would be. He takes on difficult topics with strong conviction and a great deal of passion. And just when we're ready to jump in behind him because we're so convicted too, he reminds us to lay down our swords. 
Jesus died for people who hated him and we're rolling our eyes at the people who disagree with us. Can we just let that hang for a second? He chooses gentleness and beauty over cynicism and anger every single time. And this is my right now. You are my right now. Just a little bit of heaven here on earth right now. Thy kingdom come. You're going to love this conversation with Father Josh Johnson about Thy Kingdom Come. Friends, you might not know this, but I wrote a book. It's a spiritual memoir of sorts and puts a modern day spin on old parables that are still so applicable to our everyday lives. Judgment, forgiveness, evangelizing, heartbreak, joy. I'd love for you to grab a copy. Head on over to Amazon and look for Rock, Paper, Scissors by Allison Sullivan. Father Josh Johnson, I am so excited to have you here because we have so many mutual friends and it's usually pretty early in the conversation when we start talking about the things that pierce our hearts that they will stop and say, wait, do you know Father Josh Johnson? And so someone that loves us both usually just is is saying, telling me that I need to know you. And so I'm so, so happy because I've started following along. I've started reading your work and um, watching your example. And I realized pretty quickly why my friends are so adamant that I need to meet you because, oh my gosh, you are drawn to the sorrowful and you just stand up for the persecuted and live out justice and mercy. And all of it is so darn Christ-like. So it's such a joy for me to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I would love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about who and what you love. Allison, thank you. What a beautiful intro. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. So I I love Jesus and I love (laughs) Jesus in the Bible and I love Jesus in the Eucharist and I love Jesus in the poorest of the poor Mm. um, and the marginalized. I just, uh, I fell in love with Jesus for the first time on June 26, 2004 Mm. at eight o'clock PM on Saturday night uh, (laughs) in Alexandria, Louisiana at Steubenville Uh. South Youth Conference. I left the Catholic Church at this point, but I was invited to this conference. I went to the conference reluctantly, and Bishop Sam Jacobs exposed the Eucharist for adoration. I didn't believe in the Eucharist at that point, but when he came face to face with me, I perceived the real presence of Christ there, and I just I felt I felt his his love for me. Um, I perceived the Lord saying in prayer, I love you. And it wrecked my heart because I'd always thought I had to earn love. And he didn't say, I used to love you before he began to live this life of mortal sin because I was in the streets doing some things I shouldn't have been doing. Um, He didn't say, I'm going to love you once you go to confession. He he saw me and he knew everything about me. And he said, I love you. And so in that moment, I decided I wanted to be in an intentional relationship with Christ in the Eucharist. And go to the Eucharist Federation. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I started going to adoration every day, but I didn't know what to do. I, I walked in the chapel. I'm like, how do, you, how do I pray? So that's where the Bible comes in. So I began to devour the word of God. I just began to read the word of God and the word of God, again, fulfilled me and it satiated me and it quenched that thirst that I had for more of God. Yeah. And the more I read in scripture, the more I encountered a God who was passionate about the mm-hmm. poor, mm-hmm. a God who cared for the marginalized, a God who who wanted everyone else to focus their attention on the woman who was hemorrhaging for 12 years, right. who was ignored by her community and who was ostracized. And in, in after he healed her, uh, he says, who healed me? Not because he didn't know, because he's God. Like he knew, he knows everything. Jesus Christ is, is always God. He knew it was the woman, but he wanted everybody in the community to take their eyes and fix it on this woman who they had been ignoring for 12 years and to listen to her, to listen to her story. And I love it. And the gospel says, and she told her whole truth. Mm-hmm. 
Like she had a lot of truth to tell. She had 12 years of truth right. to tell. She, she right. talked for so long that people say, hey, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Don't worry about bringing Jesus here anymore. But Jairus is like, you know what? I just spent these hours listening to this woman who I've ignored for all these years and her words have encouraged my faith. So I'm going to believe that, no, Jesus Christ can do something for me too. So I, just, I encountered a God who cares about the poor, who's passionate about those who are sick and suffering. Yeah. And who, when he speaks about heaven and hell, uh, he tells us if we don't care about the poor, then we go into hell. And I ain't trying to go to hell. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, I'm, I'm very passionate about, about those three things, Jesus in the Eucharist, Jesus in the yeah. Bible, and Jesus in the poor, and, mm-hmm. and consoling the heart of Jesus. Jesus really does mm-hmm. fulfill me. He, uh, he's my best friend. He's the love of my life. Uh, and my greatest desire is to console his heart and to fulfill his desires. And so I'm a priest in the Diocese of Baton Rouge, vocation director, pastor of Sacred Heart uh, Church, and uh, chaplain at Franciscan High. And uh, I just, I'm a lover of the Lord. I love mm-hmm. Jesus Christ in the body of Christ. It exudes. It exudes from you. Thank you so much. One of the things that I love most about you is your desire for unity. And unity, it's really just obedience to Jesus, you know? And, and so like, there's this, he's, walking on his his way to the cross and you know his last his very last prayer to the, to his father is is asking that we would be one and so i can't get over the timing of it that this is yeah. his very last prayer it won't let me go because dying people it's like we hang on their last words right, right. this matters it's like we sit at their feet and we ask them the secrets to life you know dying people what do dying people have to say and so there's it. simply no way because of the timing we cannot dodge how important this is to oh the lord gosh. You're Unity, so good. you know. Oh, God. well, why oh is it so important to you? So it's it's important to me because I love Jesus, and <laughs> when you love somebody, you care about what they care about, right? Yes. So when you talk, there's a quote from a Jesuit priest, uh, Father Pedro Rupe. It's fall in love, stay in love, and love will decide everything. Love decides what time you get up in the morning, what time you go mm-hmm. to bed at night, what breaks your heart, what gives you joy. Love decides everything. When I fell in love with Jesus Christ, I wanted to console his heart. And so I said, well, what do you care about Jesus? And he showed me in the gospel of John chapter 17, you're like you said, it's the very last priestly prayer before he goes into his passion. So we should yeah. pay attention to this. And also, I mean, he prayed all the time in the Bible. He prayed in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, at night. He prayed in community by himself, in the mountains, on the water, in the church, out not the church, not the synagogue, temple. Uh, he prayed everywhere. But very rarely do we get to hear the prayer between he and the father. Yeah. Yeah. In John 17, he gives us a glimpse. So we ought to pay attention to this mm. prayer. And he prays for, he says, Father, that they may be one. That's what I desire, that they may be one. And so because that's what he desires, that's what I desire too. And he also, he gives us the roadmap for this. So the very last prayer he prayed before the passion was John 17, unity in the body of Christ. But then also the very last thing he told the disciples before he ascended into heaven is also important. Again, so he's about to go into heaven. So he's about to be, um, we're not going to experience him in the same way anymore. So what's the very last words he spoke to the apostles? Go out and make disciples of all nations. Not, mm-hmm. not a people who look like you or think like you or act like you or vote like you. That's a big one. A lot of people, they make a bigger deal about their politics than they do about their faith um, or, or pray like you. He said, all nations. The word nations is translated from the Greek ethnos to ethnicities. So actually, the very last thing Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second mm-hmm. person of the Most Holy Trinity says to mm-hmm. the church is, make disciples of all ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Now, Allison, you and I, we have been in ministry for quite a long time. Uh, is that what our church looks like right now? That's right. 
If we go to mass on Sunday, do I see all ethnicities with me? Do I see all socioeconomic backgrounds? Do I see different ages? Do I see different genders? Do I see people who have um, different thoughts all coming together to worship God? Or does my Bible study look like people who look and vote and pray and think just like me? Does my adoration chapel look like people who look and think and vote and pray like me? Or does it look like heaven looks? And heaven is revealed to us in in Revelation 7-9. He, John saw every race, nation, tribe, and tongue. And so I want my earth to be that diverse. I want my earth to be as diverse as the the mystical body of Christ. And we have in the mystical body of Christ, Mother Teresa's and John Paul II's and Josephine Baquita's and Martin Deporas and Katir Tekakwitha's. And you have people who were uber pious and you had people who are all about justice. You had people yeah. who were protesters yeah. and you had people who were intercessors. You had people like all these different saints, I want my church to look like that. And I know in the geographical boundaries of my community, I have all those different kinds of people. I got white people, black people, English speakers, Latino speakers, Spanish speakers, rich, poor, middle class. I got liberals, conservatives, traders, progressives. I got them all. And so whoever's in my land, I want to know and I want to encounter and I want to engage and I want to equip with the tools to not only be disciples, but to be disciple makers. Yes. Amen. Praise God. Heaven, you know? I have a million different things going at the at the same time right now. You inspire me so much. But one of the things that I'm thinking right now is I think one of the biggest problems is that it doesn't cause us pain. Our our separation, um, we're kind of fine with it. We're we're really pretty used to this very private and personal existence. You know, it's like we politely wave at each other from our driveways. I mean, if oh, we're being if yeah. we're being polite, right? Honest, yeah. And it, that doesn't grieve us. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, division should cause us pain. And if division isn't causing us pain and we just have this kind of occasional cooperation, then it's like we've just agreed to a few half-hearted attempts and we have made peace with a church that is not God's will. Amen. So oh, what if, yeah. here's Preach. the thing. So in your book, like we're going to talk like a lot more about this, but this is um, Father Josh Johnson's new book on earth as it is in heaven. Go get it quickly, quickly, quickly. But in here you talk about... Um, I, I feel like instead of this neighborly wave from the driveway where we're practicing privacy and discretion or whatever, I think that we should be like gathering in this metaphorical kitchen instead, you know, like moving into this really familial relationship where communication is really honest and deep. And it's like, we're preparing this meal together. (laughs) albeit doing different things because I don't bake, but like enough of the neighborly waving, right? Like I think this joint meal would be so fabulous that our neighbors, those on the outside, if you will, would get a whiff of it and want in because isn't that what we're after after all is for people to see the love between us that is so great that they look from the outside and are intrigued. And in your book, you talk quite explicitly, and I'm going to be honest, like this was a stretch for me that there's something about the Eucharist in that communion of the Eucharist that has really convicted you as far as unity goes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, you know, the very first, so we talked about the last words of Jesus uh, in John 17 before he went to the Passion and the last words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. The first words of Jesus, um, uh, when the apostles were first ordained at the Last Supper, the very first thing he told them to do before he told them to go out and teach and preach and baptize and make disciples of all nations, the very first thing that Jesus Christ invited them to do was to sit, watch, and pray before the presence of his body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's that's Eucharistic adoration, essentially. Like he invited them to sit, watch, wow, yeah. and pray. And I really do believe that 
Um, the Eucharist is where the greatest saints were formed. You know, like St. Catherine Drexel, who is one of my heroes, she worked and fought for racial justice. She supported the beginnings of the NAACP. Uh, any uh, African-American, predominantly African-American religious order, like the Josephites, the Sacred Heart of the Holy Family Sisters in New Orleans, who served uh, Black people in, in the USA, they were all funded by her. I mean, she was she was uh, just a rock for so many people of color in, in America, both black people and indigenous people. And, uh, but you know, she spent every day, two hours, every single day, she spent two hours in prayer before the blessed sacrament. And it was during her lifetime was when her order was thriving the most because she was so rooted in this thing that was like, why would you spend, like, there's so much need in the community. And she's like, nope, we prioritize Eucharistic adoration. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Uh, in Calcutta, they do some of the most difficult work with the poorest of the poor. And not only there, but all over the world. They'll have AIDS homes and homes for the dying and the destitute all over. But their work is demanding. I used to be a missionary with them years ago. It's hard and it's exhausting. And one of the sisters came to Mother and said, Mother, can we, can we reduce the amount of time? Can we decrease the amount of time we spend in the chapel? And she said, you know what? For that, we're going to add an hour extra before the Blessed Sacrament every day. And they thought she was crazy. They did this and all of a sudden there was more peace in their community and their order. Because I don't know if you've met nuns yet, but there's a lot of drama in convents, right? They'd be having some, uh, they all got yeah. some bad habits. Get it? Bad yeah. habits. Um, <laughs> but I'm and, uh, Priest yeah, right. jokes. Um, yeah, bad father <laughs> jokes over here. But um, no, but so there was peace in the community. More poor were able to be served. More women joined the community. Uh, more fruit happened. And yeah. so it's this, this thing of if we can invite everyone of mm. all ethnicities, of all races, um, of of all socioeconomic backgrounds, of all yeah. religions. I've invited Protestants to adoration and I've seen mm, profound sure. transformation, yes, right? Yes. Um, if we can just sit with Jesus and and look at Jesus together, the fruit of adoration will always be imitation. Adoration leads to imitation. And so if I'm looking at Jesus together, then together yeah. we're inspired by the same spirit of Jesus and we're going to together go out and we're going to cross cultural boundaries. And that's what he did. Jesus Christ crossed cultural boundaries. He spent time with the, the, the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan. He was a Jew. They weren't supposed to talk for so many reasons, but he did it. And, and it was uncomfortable. She didn't like the conversation. She tried to change the conversation. She, but but again, like that's what he did. And so if we are together with our brothers and sisters who are all very different from us, adoring Christ in the Blessed Sacrament, then he will inspire us to have uncomfortable conversations with yes. each other yes. where we're going to offend each other and where we're going to say the wrong thing. But we're also not going to allow that fear of offending someone or the fear right. of saying the wrong thing keep us from being proximate to that person. Because in my closest relationships with family members and with my best friends, there's always drama. We fight. Sure. We fight hard. Yeah. We we go at it. We hurt each other's feelings, but we love each other. And so we come together. And so yeah. we can't expect to, to go out and make disciples of all nations without being hurt by the people that we're walking right. with and without hurting them. But if we love, as Christ tells us to do, then we're going to stay with them, even though it's difficult. Um, and so it, it involves really messy conversations. And uh, but again, this is what the gospel calls us to. And we're That's not right. going to do this work unless we're like rooted in prayer with Christ. Right. I had this. Um, I was doing a, it was an event where I was addressing race and obviously had invited a, a panel of people of color, not me, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, to talk about all of this. But, um, I was nervous and my fear, I was up in the middle of the night and I, um, just, it, you know, it was one of those middle of the night, like kind of semi-conscious 
conversations with the Lord. And yeah. it felt really inspired. It, it, he felt very near. And as I'm like, who do I think I am that I can do this? And he was like, you are beloved. And it was like, the answer was the same every time. Like, why do you think you can do this? You are beloved, you know? Um, and then it was like, but people, people probably like, aren't going to like me. And he was like, you might be right. Yeah, the, same, the, the <laughs> apostles like this, were martyred, weren't they? The yes, apostles were there was killed. Like this, so like, Yes, there was this change of his tone. It was like this mm. very matter of factness mm. through prayer. And I was like, it's going to be so messy. And it was as plain as day. And I don't like to get like super, because I feel like it leaves people on the outside. Like, um, I, I don't want to mislead anyone that there was like mm. this audible voice, but very in my spirit through prayer, yeah. in, in my concern that this is going to be messy, it was redemption usually is. Oh, you know, look at the cross. Right. Amen. It was right. messy. He, he died between two thieves who were cursing him and mocking yes. him and people misunderstood him and he was stripped naked and he was abused. Yes. And the, the apostles, when they went out to Africa and Asia and Europe, they were martyred and they were stripped naked too and they were beaten and they were abused and it was hard and it was messy. But like, what kind of Christianity do we believe in? Do right. we believe that it's supposed to be easy? Because I'm pretty sure the word of God, Jesus told us very clearly, they persecuted me, they will persecute you. It's gonna be messy we saint paul says i preach jesus christ and jesus christ crucified and so for the sake of salvation of souls for the sake of unity in the body of christ for the sake of a civilization of love i'm all about the cross because yeah. i believe that the fruit of the cross will be a resurrection not yeah. just for me but for my community and yeah. i want that so bad for this yeah. land and so if we can just make peace with our discomfort, this is going to be messy. Okay, that's okay. That's okay. We're Christians. That's fine. But, you know, so often we avoid these difficult conversations. A lot of it's because we, particularly race, but we come at it from different perspectives. We have different mm -hmm. experiences. We have attachments to words and ideas. Oh, and those yeah. attachments kind of make Don't us we? feel things. <laughs> um, and then we can use those words wrongly. You know, we, oh, can, yeah. we end up miscommunicating. Um, so many of our experiences in trying to discuss this have been unpleasant. And so we're insecure and we are defensive and we've likely been hurt. And mm. all of these things keep us from the conversation that's oh so important to have. And I, I feel like a lot of it is because, at least for white people, it's I'm we are so afraid of being labeled a racist yeah. that we have all these unexamined biases. And so mm -hmm. we can't ever really get to the bottom of any issue because we're refusing to really confront it and yeah. we can't heal what we won't acknowledge. And so when our discomfort is so great that we that we are refusing to engage, an enemy wins. I am Amen. certain that an enemy wins. And if we dismiss the pain of our brothers and sisters because it's not our own pain or because we don't understand that pain, I'm certain an enemy wins. You are so gifted at weeping with those who weep. And one of the ways in, right in your book that I was really inspired um, was your, I, I think you gave them a name and I'm sorry that it escapes me right now, but you would just go on walks. Mm -hmm. You would just go on walks and whatever came to you, came to you. And you were not avoiding anything in those moments. You were very committed to your neighborhood, to your neighbors. Will you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So one of, in Canon Law, which is like this really big, boring book, but it's also really good. Uh, it says <laughs> that we are responsible for every single person who lives within the geographical boundaries of our parish, not just the Catholics, not just the registered yeah. parishioners. If it's a person who has... Uh, uh, blood in their veins and air in their lungs. They, we are responsible to accompany them. Catholic, Not just the Protestant. established community that's already no. in that church. I think you read Catholic, about that. Catholic, yeah. Protestant, atheist, agnostic, Muslim, Hindu, Jew, 
every person who lives in the geographical boundaries is our responsibility. That's actually our parishioner. Even if they don't accept, if they don't choose us, we choose them. So I uh, would go for walks around the neighborhoods and I would go in all the neighborhoods. I would go in the affluent neighborhoods and I'd go in the, in the hood and I would just walk and pray my rosary and meet people. And then and one of my walks, I ran to one of my good friends from high school, Tracy. And Tracy was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh, I'm actually at that church right down the street. Uh, it's a big church, big school. And she said, I've never heard of that church. I was like, wait a minute. I've like, you've been in this neighborhood your whole life. And you didn't know that there's this huge, big Catholic church in school, like right across the tracks. And she said, no. And so I knew at that moment that the spirit wanted me to, to prioritize this particular neighborhood in my boundary. So I would walk, I would meet people, invite them to Bible studies, just sit on their porch, talk to them or whatever. And, uh, and the parishioners of this church began to notice. And so some of them were excited about this. Uh, one of them even would join me on these walks, but, but one of the very active parishioners of this parish who was there all the time said, uh, what, what are you doing with, I noticed you walking a lot. And I said, I mean, I'm praying the rosary going to the Valley park. And she said, why are you going to that neighborhood? And I said like, well, what's wrong with that neighborhood? And she said, well, don't those like, uh, I, I, so since I said, like, I want to invite them to like be part of our community here, Bible studies, missions, retreats, whatever. She said, well, don't those people have their own church to go to? Why did they have to come to our church? And I said, well, those people um, are loved by God and our church, like we have the Eucharist. And do you know what God says about the Eucharist in John chapter six? He says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have eternal life. And so I want them to actually be able to encounter Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Don't you? And, and it, she ended up by just saying like, look, a lot of people around here don't like a lot of change too soon. So you just, you need to watch out. Yeah. And, um, and it struck me because this person, uh, was someone who, uh, she supported our mission trips to Honduras oh, sure. and she yeah. supported our, our ministry where we fed the poor, uh, but she didn't want the poor to be proximate to her and her land. Um, I'm not saying she's a racist. Like, I'm not going to make that claim. I will say that uh, she was, uh, she had some, she had some racial prejudices. Um, uh, I will say she had some racial stereotypes, but I'm, I'm not going to go ahead and labor because I don't know her, I don't know her heart. Um, but there, there was that, that act of there. So, I mean, I think that that's how it is, not just with lay people. I mean, there's a priest, I was in adoration one time and there was a priest who came to the chapel and he was crying and he was crying um, not because of where he was uh, leaving uh, when I had a conversation with him. It wasn't about the assignment he was leaving. He was crying because of the assignment where he was going to, he was being sent by his superiors to a predominantly black Catholic church. And he said, I don't know black people. Black people aren't going to want me. They're not going to like me. Uh, they're they're, they're going to, they're, they're not going to want me to be their priest. And, and I don't know their, their culture. Why would my superiors send me to this community of people? And it was, it was shocking. I, I remember as he was talking, I was thinking, do you even know Jesus? Yeah. Like, do you know Jesus? Because Jesus makes it very clear. Like when God called you to be a priest, it wasn't for white people. He called you to be a priest for all people. And yet in your mind, it seems like you were only created to serve white people or people who are of the same socioeconomic background as you. And, and that's just not the gospel. That's not the church. And that's, yeah. um, uh, it's disappointing, but again, again, it's good for us to be aware of this so that we can say, well, Lord, like you can inspire me to be different. Like, I don't have to be, uh, that way. I, I don't have to listen to the voice of Satan who, who discourages me from being obedient to the demands of discipleship, which calls to go out to all people and accompany everybody. Um, I could be like the saints who preceded us in our walk toward eternity, who got messy and who were misunderstood and who were even called crazy, uh, who even lost their lives but they did it for the sake of you, God, of your yeah. people knowing you and loving you and serving you. And, and God's, I mean, he's sufficient. 
And he's, he's enough of a reason for, for, for me to spend the rest of my life having these uncomfortable conversations, you know, having yes. people call me crazy names because, you know, they're like, Father Josh, you're just race baiting or whatever, whatever yeah. the different things yeah. are. I'm like, I don't care. Like, call me what you want to call me. Like, Jesus Christ calls me uh, my beloved. And so that's, that's, the only, right. that's the only voice that matters to me is Jesus. And if he approves of the work I'm doing and my bishop does too, then I'm going to keep doing it, you know? Well, and if we've organized our lives and our ministries around the life and ministry of this one man, then it's pretty obvious what we need to do. You know, when yeah, we look at the yeah. life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Thank you. He, you know, he hired people we would fire. He befriended right? people we would reject. He ate with people he wasn't supposed to eat with. He touched people he wasn't supposed to touch and on and on and on. Thank and you. So <laughs> we're called to this alternate script, you know, and you, you know, you really, you can't even read the title of your book without really feeling this call to action of thy kingdom come, um, you know, thy kingdom come on earth as it mm-hmm. is in heaven, because we pray for that. We sing that. We might mm. even fast for that reality, yeah. but for it to mean anything at all, we have to actually spend some time thinking about what heaven will be like Amen. and then start living that now. And so if we could like close our eyes and, and take a deep breath, we can ask ourselves, okay, what would be abolished in heaven? Mm. What would be maintained in heaven? What is it that would be restored in heaven? Because the truth is that we are called to this great unity. Now there's distinction within that unity. You know, we're wearing the same gown and we're waving the same leaf, but there is that distinction within unity. Can you speak a little bit to the difference between uniformity and unity? Like maintaining that distinction? Yeah, well, St. Paul gives it to us in Corinthians, right? We're one body of Christ but we're all different members of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. You might be a hand, I'm the foot, somebody's the eye, somebody gotta be the butt. You know, the butt might not feel like you're like, well, I gotta be the butt. Yeah, the butt's necessary. Without the butt, you can't sit down, right? Every single member of the body of Christ, is, he says, I can't, the hand cannot say I don't need you. And so we all need each other. But then he also says, I love it. He says, and God arranged the organs in the body as God wanted them to be. And so God wants us to continue to, 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 to be different, but he wants us to be one with each other and one yeah. with him. In heaven, like the saints are, 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 are again, they're, they're still incomplete because their bodies ain't there yet. So they're still longing for the, the second coming, for the resurrection of, of, the, of the body as well. But like the saints are still, the, like, they still have their personalities, you know, like they still have their, they're, they're perfected. They're perfected personalities. They're, they're still involved in certain ministries that they're involved in on earth. Um, and so Mother Teresa is still a sister. She's like Padre Pio is very close to me. And when I'm in confession, there's been times in my life where I perceive his presence in the confessional, right? I don't perceive Padre Pio um, when I'm when I'm doing other other good works, you know, like if, if evangelization stuff, that's John Paul comes or whatever. Mm. But like the, so the saints are still invested. They're still very different. Um, but we're on the same page because we all have the, the mind of Christ, it's the mind of Christ now. I'm a different member of the body, but I, I think with one mind. I feel with one heart, but I act as the particular member of the body that I am. And that's how that's how heaven is. In heaven, they're all together, but they're all doing different things for the sake of the kingdom. And so if we could just reverence that, reverence charisms, reverence um, gifts, natural gifts and talents and resources, uh, reverence people, uh, yeah. then, then I think everything would just change. Like yeah. I need, and that's the thing is like, we, we just, we have to recognize that we need each other. 
I think the reason why the, the, the church isn't thriving right now is because we live as if I don't need this member, this person here, right? Yeah. And and, and until we're all, have you ever seen Power Rangers? I feel like you and I yeah. are probably the same age. Like we were, we were like in like like what, we're not the same age. Oh my no. god! Uh, That's nice of you though. That's so kind. I thought you were like twenty one or something like that, right? Oh, bless um, you. But in Power Rangers, right? Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, like the original. Whenever I was like a little kid and that came out, there was the the green, red, blue, yellow, black, sure, and yeah. white, and and by themselves they could do some things. But in order to fight the big monster, like so the big demon, they had to morph together. And if one yeah. person was not at the table, yeah. they could not morph together and make the big ro robot. So we had to look at the table and ask the question like, who isn't here? Uh, Who's not representing my table? Uh, and go out and find that person. And, and, and again, it's going to be messy. Again, I did this when I was pastor my last church. Like I would even, I'm a Catholic priest, but I would bring Protestants on board to do certain, like they didn't lead they didn't do RCIA, right? They didn't do Eucharistic right. ministry, but they could do ministry to the poor with me. And yes. they could do like, like there's different things that they could do. They could, they could even come to adoration. They could do praise and worship with me. So I'll bring all these people to the table. And yes, it got messy and it got uncomfortable. We had to have difficult conversations. And sometimes the dialogues became debates, but we stayed there with each other. But like, I'm like, y'all invite everybody to the table. That's what Jesus did. Yes. And if Jesus is God and he's, and he's a really big God, then we can trust that yeah, if I just bring them here, then in his will, way, and time, he's going to work out all the kinks. But yeah. we like to, like you said earlier, we like to be so comfortable. And I, 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 I don't want to, you know, whatever. And you know, what if they say this? Or what if I do this? It's just like bring everyone together. I, one quick story. When I was in Calcutta, when I was doing ministry work in Calcutta with Mother Teresa's sisters, there was a Lutheran seminarian. Lutherans, I love them. Different theology than Catholics, right? They have different understanding of the Eucharist than us. So he did not believe that the Eucharist was God outside of Mass. He believed during Mass, it became God, but when Mass was over, it became a bread again. Well, the sisters, they invited everyone to the table. So the MC sisters would have Catholics, fallen Catholics, Protestants, atheists, agnostics, uh, Hindus, Jews, Muslims, whoever wanted to serve the poor, was invited to serve the poor. You didn't have to have credentials. You didn't have to do an oath of fidelity. If you want to serve the poor, you're welcome. So after mass at 6 a.m., all these people would come from all these backgrounds and would go serve the poor for 12 hours. Because I was wearing clerics, they would often talk to me about their struggles with the church. Most of them sure. were not Catholic. Most of them left the Catholic church. But as we were serving the poor together, we're walking, we're, we're talking, whatever. Um, so there's this Lutheran seminary. So he and I would have all these really deep conversations about theology. Um, now at 6 p.m., the sisters would invite everybody, Catholic, fallen Catholic, Protestant, Muslim, Hindu, atheist, agnostic, Jew, whoever. Everyone was invited to adoration. They didn't tell us what it was. They just said, you're welcome to come and spend an hour in silence after long days of work and pray. If you want, however you pray. Everyone came. Not one person missed this time. Every single day, all these people came. And I would notice the Lutheran seminarian, when he would come in adoration, the way he would look at the Eucharist, it was as if he was gazing at the face of Jesus. I was like, he's so reverent in here. I, I think he's starting to believe. Now, the sisters never catechized. They never said, like, this is what the church, but I could see it. So whenever I, I left at the end of December that month, I pulled him to the side. We had a conversation. I said, look, bro, I know you and I, we've talked about our theology. I know we disagree on many things, but the way you look at the Eucharist, it makes me think that you believe that that's really Jesus. And he said, after coming here for the past month, I do believe now. I do believe. Why, why did that happen? Because the sisters believe that God's big enough, like God's bigger than us. And if we just introduce people to Jesus, bring people to Jesus, he'll do the rest. 
And as uh, a pastor, I've seen it happen. I had a, a woman who came to me who was married and divorced and, and, and not annulled yet, but like away from the church for years, introduced her to Eucharistic adoration, just said, just go sit in the chapel, spend time with the Lord. I didn't do much catechesis with her at that point, but she would just go there every day. And then Jesus proposed to her and invited her to be his bride. <laughs> and now she's a nun, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like it, it, God's bigger than us. And so yes. there, there's all this stuff that I think we just, we get so scared about. And I'm like, yes. no, like, let's have the conversation and then let's go sit with the Lord that's and right. trust that the spirit of Amen. God will take care of the rest. Yes. And I think that's a big thing that keeps us from it is fear. It's like, I don't have what it takes to make all that happen. You don't need to just no. do what Jesus did. Just do what he did. And so I, th I think that like, if we're striving for this holy life mm -hmm. and I, and you know, we are, we all really desire goodness, yeah, then sitting around and, and talking about Jesus with our smart friends, it's not enough. No. We have to live out the gospel he proclaimed Amen. as well. And that's your thy kingdom come. We have to live out the gospel we proclaimed Amen. because we're formed enough to say that the cross saves the world, but we don't want anything to do with it. We're, we all want change, but we're too afraid to die. And so it's like Jesus showed us this new yeah. way to live. And I'm convinced that the reason our Christianity isn't changing the world isn't because we're not sitting around talking about it enough. We're doing that. It's mm. not changed because we're not doing we're what not Jesus did. We're not walking outside to meet we're our actual neighbors. We're not walking outside. The Lord says, love your neighbor. And we're like, well, who's my neighbor, God? And we get all like uh, <laughs> metaphorical. He's like, literally, <laughs> your next door neighbor, what's her name? They're like, oh, uh, oh, I never, well, she's a Muslim. Or, or they're Baptist. So he's like, I don't care. They're my people. They're created in my image. Go out and encounter my people. You know, it's, 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 Dorothy Day is one of my, I, don't, I feel like you would like Dorothy Day. Do you like Dorothy Day? Okay. I do. I do. I can, you got so much <laughs> swag. Oh my gosh. I, can, I you're like dripping in sauce right now. But, um, I'll take but it. Dorothy Day, one of the quotes that she says that I just love so much, and I can't wait for her to be a canonized saint. I mean, she's already a saint, but I, I can't know, wait for the I church know. to recognize yes, it. Yes, I but, know. But she says, we only love God as much as the person who we love the least. Yeah. And so I think about this because the God of America is the Republican Party and the Democrat Party is politics. That's the God of America. The God of America is I will I will be more concerned if someone left my political party than if someone left the church that Jesus Christ founded thousand years ago. If this person left the church, I'm cool with that. But if they leave my political party, like anathema sit, right? And so uh, we we we're, we know more about our politics than we do about the, the the scriptures. We promote our politics in our front yard more than we promote our faith. And so this is a this is a God. Now there are people who and, and I'm very clear. People, everybody knows I'm not Republican or Democrat. I've I think both parties have uh, platforms that are anti-gospel, anti-Christ, and anti-Catholic. So you're an alien in this world. I'm oh. I, there, I have no home, right? Oh. Um, so, but I a lot of people they demonize the person who belongs to the other party. It's not their party and they want nothing to do with them. And when they find that that person is a Republican or that person is a Democrat or that person's whatever, they're like, I would never go to their house. Okay. Now let's go back to Dorothy Day. I only love God as much as the person who I love mm -hmm. the least. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If I am not willing to invest in that person, to engage that person in relationship, to encounter that person, to walk with that person, to accompany that person in their relationship with the Lord, then I don't love Jesus. See, with Jesus, it's all of Jesus or none of Jesus. Yeah. It, it, I'm, sitting, it, it, I'm sitting over here convicted, Father Josh. Thank you. Well, there's you. no Jesus without the I body suppose. of Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, and so like, like people are like, I want my personal relationship with Jesus, but forget the body of Christ. I don't, and I'm like, no, with him, he's like, if you, if you can't love me and my people, if you can't invest in me and them, then your holy hours mean nothing.
Yeah. Right. Yeah. It means nothing. And so I want to encourage people like, who are the people who you love the least? Is it a person of a different socioeconomic status? Is it a person of a different political ideology? Yeah. Is it a person of a different ethnicity? Is it a person of a different race? Is it a person of a different religion? Like who is the person who you love the least? Whoever that person or those people are, like that's who the Holy Spirit right now wants you to begin to pray for, fast for, and then go out to encounter and accompany. So that way we can all walk with yeah. each other toward the cross and the cross will always lead us to the resurrection. Yeah, that's beautiful. I went from um, feeling really indignant with you in this conversation to feeling really, really convicted. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. That doesn't happen very much in these conversations <laughs> <laughs> that they take turns like that. Um, but, you know, as far as long as we're, we're here on the topic and getting really specific about yeah. how to li live out the Jesus way, you know, I, I feel like there's this really tangible example in the Good Samaritan. You know, it's like mm. these these very holy people who who knew their theology perfectly, you oh, know, yeah. are, are walking by. And then there's kind of, you know, the stereotypical bad guy, if you will, yeah. who felt compassion, mm -hmm. who was moved to the point of action, who became personally involved, um, who was interrupted and inconvenienced and took a personal risk. And then willingly used their own means. Money, yes. Yeah, yeah. Willingly used their own means to take care of their neighbor. And so I feel really strongly about, um, you know, I, I, I was thinking about the two people that you referenced in some of the pushback that you give, because anytime you, you know, you step into these messy conversations, there's going to be a lot of pushback. Yeah. And as I'm thinking of your two examples of pushback, um, mine, mine can come aggra aggressively, um, just because of social media, you know, it makes it, it makes it really easy to be aggressive with, oh, yeah. um, disagreeing, disagreeing. Um, but there's also, you know, familial and friendship, you know, just little ways that we can nudge one another towards holiness. And the same people that I'm trying to nudge towards holiness in one area are 100% nudging me towards holiness in another. And it's a very yeah. beautiful thing that we get to do mm -hmm. when we are, here's the key, in relationship. Yeah. And so, so many of us have got to get out of our, these, these tight little concentric circles to actually sit knee to knee with people that are not like us, because that's what allows us to, that's what allowed my heart to finally break over this race stuff. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that I was going to be pierced as deeply as I, as I was about reconcile. Well, people use the word reconciliation and it becomes kind of this romantic term when really yeah. I think it's conciliation because there was no, <laughs> there's no re reconciliation if there was, Ooh. you know, anyways, yeah. but, but you know, God made the unity. It's just, it's, it's yeah. our, it's our, charge to maintain it. It's like God already did the big thing. Amen. It's just yeah. our job to maintain it. But anyways, I, I, what I set on was I, I grew up Protestant. I grew up in Protestant spaces. Mm -hmm. And so when I met my adorable husband, who was so inconveniently Catholic, that was when I became really interested in Ooh, yeah, um, denominational unity. Mm -hmm. But then when something's true with a capital T, it's true everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so when I started caring about all this denominational unity, probably for my own comfort, you know, uh, that's how it mm -hmm. started. It became, God just weaseled his way into his, into, into my heart with his design 
for his people. And it was just, it was this union and this friendship where we truly belong to one another. And so my own example of, you know, to go along with yours is a dear friend had made some, uh, we were, it was on time. It wasn't out of nowhere, but it was the, the comment was, well, it's if the, if black culture didn't glorify violence or something like that. Mm. And I thought to myself, um, if the only thing you're getting about black culture is from TV news, Mm. what have you, Mm. the video game you play, whatever, I could see how you could stand by that. If you are not, which, and glory to God, I am in close relationship with many people of color. Mm -hmm. I could never say that and have it and, and it be true. Yeah. You I know that but yeah. with that statement I know that you are not in relationship in in yeah. loving relationship with people of color. Amen. If you can say that and like stick it in the ground, wow. You know? Yeah. And so my urge and I, so this is the the long-winded question I guess is what are the things that we can do like that good samaritan? What are the things that we can do to change to change our church for the better to live out this this heavenly mandate to you know you speak about heaven so beautifully and i long for that here what are some tangible things yeah so tangibly uh give you a few things number one is first of all we we all pray right because if we're not in union with christ we're not going to think with his mind prayer is necessary every single day so we must be men and women who are rooted in prayer um, and then after that, we go out and we cultivate relationships through Bible studies. I, I always love to encourage people to go out and include people from your job, from your school, from your neighborhood, from your community, right? Do Bible studies. Bible studies are transformative. As you do Bible studies, you invest life with people. There's a story I share in my book about these white moms who went to this school. Uh, the, the kids went to the school. is half white, half Latino. And like right down the middle and these white moms started this Bible study prayer group. And it was gone for like a year or two. And they realized as they went to the word of God, like, wait a minute, why is the word of God all about diversity? Yet our Bible study is only white moms. There are 50% of the students at the school are Latino. So why don't we ask the Latina mothers to be, join our Bible study? So they started doing flyers, emails, uh, brochures, all these things. The Latina moms never came. So they were intentional that we want our Bible study on earth, so it's like John's vision of heaven. So they got a social psychologist to come to the table. And she said, uh, you know, so when's your Bible study? They said Thursday mornings, 11 o'clock a.m. Uh, and they, she said, so what is it about that time that you think prevents these Latina moms from coming? They're like, well, we don't know. We just love our kids. And so she said, all right, I'll tell you what, why don't y'all go to the Spanish mass for the next four months? Um, so five of those 25 moms and their husbands and their kids started going to the Spanish mass. Um, and after they did that for about four months, they, uh, they approach the moms and they say, listen, you know, we've been coming to mass here with y'all for the past four months. Our kids go to school together. We have this Bible study prayer group. We were wondering, why don't y'all want to come? And the Latina mothers are like, well, we would love to come. We just can't go at Thursday at 11 o'clock a.m. because we work. They're like, oh, so you would come if, if it was a different time? Like, yeah. They said, well, what time works for y'all? So they got together. They talked about it. They said, well, for all of us, it'd be best if it was like 11 o'clock p.m. on Thursday nights. And so the white mom was like, okay, we are intentional about this. We want this. And so they said, well, we'll get uh, babysitters and we can have the Bible study at our houses. They said, you know, we can't go to your neighbors that late at night. It's not safe. We don't all have cars. We, some of us try to take the bus to and from places. There have been stories we've heard about Latina women, people of color, and going to your neighborhood, getting pulled over by the cops. So like, we don't feel safe doing that. They said, well, well would one of y'all want to host it in your homes? Sure. So 
every Thursday night, 11 o'clock oh PM, uh, this house, there's a Bible study and 20 of the original moms who were white came, about 15 Latina moms. It goes on for, for weeks, more women in the neighborhood. You mentioned this earlier, John 17, you said people will see and they'll be attracted to, they don't want to join. So now other moms like, what are all these cars doing in our neighborhood every Thursday night? So here's the Bible study prayer group. Well, they have kids that don't go to that school, but they have kids. They say, well, can we join and pray for our kids too? And yeah, sure. So now more women join. So then after that, more women want to join from that neighborhood, but they don't speak English well. So the white mom said, okay, it's cool. We will, we will hire a translator. That way you don't have to worry about translating for us. And after while doing it, they're like, why don't we just like, learn Spanish? So they, they got a tutor, learn Spanish. Okay, now they're not only doing Bible study every Thursday at 11 o'clock p.m., but they're going to mass together on Sundays at 11 o'clock a.m. They're going to um, Quinceañeras on Saturday evenings. They're grabbing coffee on Tuesdays. They're investing life. And it's not just them, but now their kids are playing sports together. Their husbands are hanging out. They're becoming blood. They're becoming family with each other. Now trust is established. So this is going on for years now. Yeah. There's a deep trust between sisters, between husbands, yeah. families. And now they're like, you know what? We feel safe to also tell you what's going on in our society where we feel like we're being hurt, where we're being neglected, where there might be practices and policies, written rules and unwritten rules that are actually discriminating against us. And the, the mom's like, wait a minute, you are our family. We're not going to tolerate this. So with their husbands, they began to change laws in their town that were affecting their sisters in a negative way, building up a civilization of love, not only uber spiritual, but really practical and tangible and taking care of the secular world as well. Like that is what we do. We cultivate relationships that are rooted in the word where we invest life. We don't just meet for a ministry one day a week, but we invest life and we make it to where we're investing life in a way that's conducive for the other person to grow, for the other person to realize, okay, they're, they're taking me and my circumstance and my environment into account whenever they're planning these events that we're doing in our church. And it's not just we're going to have mass at these times because these are when most people who've been coming can come. We're going to ask the community, when is mass best for you? When's confession best for you? When's Bible study best for you? When's the food pantry best for you? When's our missions and retreats best for you? And we're going to accommodate you because we want you to have a place at the table um, in the kingdom of God here. As we begin to collaborate with each other, we recognize they have gifts. Like you have gifts. I don't have, I have gifts. You don't have, we have different charisms. We have different resources, different talents, different tools. We can collaborate together to use our talents and tools and charisms to go out into the world. To not just be a bunch of church people who are in the church all the time, but to transform the world to address whatever evils and injustices are happening in our community so that our earth can begin to look a little bit more like heaven. <sighs> yeah. Wow. Gosh, I, I think that one of the most beautiful things that Jesus bought with his death is unlikely love. And you are, mm. uh, you just, you speak to that so eloquently and so passionately this gospel that restores the broken and bears the heavy, you do that so well. I am forever a Father Josh fan. Oh my gosh, everybody. <laughs> everybody, please go get Father Josh's new book. Um, where would you like them to get it? And then Two tell us places. where to Okay, tell yeah. us where so, to follow you. On earth as it is in heaven, restoring God's vision of race and discipleship is available at www.ascensionpress.com. That's ascensionpress.com. Or you can just do ascensionpress.com slash on earth. You can also go to amazon.com and get it there as well. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at FR Josh Johnson, at Father Josh Johnson. There's a bunch of fake accounts out there. I have no numbers in my name. I have no dashes. It's just literally at FR Josh Johnson. So if you see any other ones, it's a fake. It's a phone who's trying to spam you and get your money. Um, and so don't do that. If you're in Louisiana, come and visit me at Sacred Heart of Jesus Catholic Church. If you are in the Diocese of Baton Rouge and you're trying to find a great Catholic school, I am the pastor of Sacred Heart 
uh, Catholic school as well. We are the most diverse Catholic school in the Diocese of Baton Rouge. We have kids from every race, nation, tribe, and tongue. Our school literally looks like John's vision of heaven. And so if you want your kids to have that experience where they come to mass once a week, they go to adoration once a week, and they have a lot of intentional disciples of Christ to accompany them, including a bunch of really cool nuns, um, then send your kids here and we will help them to become little saints, little little disciples of Jesus. Uh, and uh, pray for vocations for our diocese. I'm the vocation director. I, I want healthy holy and mature vocations. I don't want any weirdos. Um, I don't want people who are creepers. I want healthy, holy, and mature disciples of Jesus Christ to be priests. Again, the book is on earth as it is in heaven. I cherish you. Please say you'll come back. I would love to come back. I actually, I think you have like, yeah, you're a great host. And um, I think we could do more stuff together in the future. So. I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you feel it too. I Thank you so much. A million thank yous. I could never thank you enough. This was awesome. You're awesome. Well, God bless deuces. <laughs> okay, friends, is everyone already following at Junk Gypsy and at The Wonder Inn on Instagram? If not, scoot on over. I'll wait. I have spent the last decade admiring the talent of Junk Gypsy. Clothes, boots, jewelry, antiques. They're a little hard to bend down, a little airless, a little mapless, throwbacks, visionaries, but definitely creative misfits. And I thought that I loved everything there was to love about Junk Gypsy, but then I went and stayed at their farmhouse and now I am completely speechless. Almost. I wasn't completely sure when I was there I was in heaven, but then they gently tapped on the door in the morning and they brought me warm biscuits. Go, you guys. It would be so perfect for a girl's weekend. Go visit their store in Round Top. Go find their website at gypsyville.com. Follow them on Instagram at Junk Gypsy and at The Wander Inn. You won't be disappointed. Good morning, Beefy. It is um, really good to see your face. I feel like a lot has happened since we've seen each other. Your kids have started school. You've been out of the country hiking all kinds of mountains. Um, mountains. You have a new foster baby. Um, That's a lot. It is true. We have been living some life over here, but it is good to be back. Okay. So... What Father Josh. <laughs> oh my gosh. That guy's passion and enthusiasm. Both of y'all, both of y'all together. Like it was a, um, just a fiery, like motivating interview. I feel like, um, it was yeah. really, really good. I love everything that he said. Um, I loved like just I made things really practical, right? And like very simple, even with all of like the energy and hype that he has. Um, just talking about like bringing everybody to the table and just mm -hmm. not like trying to do God's job, right? Like just doing mm -hmm. our job of just like yeah. getting people there, knowing our neighbors, you know, really like our actual neighbors, like our uh -huh. next door neighbors. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and just, I don't know, somehow it was like just empowering us to do really big things in simple ways, right? Not just trying to take the burden uh, or trying to do like, God's job, like I was saying. Yeah, um, I love anyway, that. Awesome, awesome. Um, but my favorite part was your oh crap moment. <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. The part where I was like pumping my fist going, yeah, yeah. And then being like, oh, oh man, <laughs> that's, that's me. <laughs> um, but I mean, uh, the reason why I love it is, I mean, I don't usually love quoting our third grade teacher, but remember how she would always say that thing about when you're pointing one finger, you have four pointing back. Um, uh -huh. And yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Like we all understand the concept of not being critical because no one's perfect. Fine. But um I think it's deeper than that because you like, we're, we're all angry about very legitimate things that we should yeah. be angry about. Right. And we feel justified about our anger. And 
Uh, we feel, especially when we feel like we're morally right, but I think that, you know, what you demonstrated and just in a subtle way that, um, the realization that you can be angry about something, but you can't use that anger as justification for hatred. Right. And I mean, mm, it can be mm, a yeah. fine line or maybe it's better to say a slippery slope. Yes. Um, and you found yeah. yourself sliding a little bit beef. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> Publicly and in real time. <laughs> um, no, but that's good. Anger is good. And it's certainly a catalyst. There's um, there's this quote. I'll put it in show notes because I forgot who said it, but it's like Audra Lore. Uh, mm-hmm. someone, um, but it says anger is not a shortcoming to be denied, but it is a creative force that tells us when something is wrong. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think that their anger is, is sinful and there mm-hmm. is a strong connection between, you know, feeling angry and wanting to make something better, which is right. good and holy, but then we can so easily separate, separate ourselves from sin. You know, right. and so I can do that. I can feel like, well, this anger is really justified. And so therefore I can X, Y, Z. So I think it's really important to sit with it and mm-hmm. then separate out. I want to make something better from something that's potentially destructive that mm-hmm. can make you hate everyone around you for not being equally enraged or for not agreeing with you that there's a problem altogether. Right. Right. That's it. Um, so I did some research for us, Beef. You did. And um, um, I found this article about righteous indignation. Uh, and uh-huh. I, we should put that in the show notes as well. Um, it's research okay. from Har- yeah. Harley Therapy, H-A-R-L-E-Y Therapy. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and it was just saying how there's anger that leads to a desire to change something. Just like you're saying, it's like an action readiness. In fact, like biologically, even when we're experiencing ang- anger in the left frontal hemisphere of our brain, they say there's actually increased blood flow to our hands. To like throw down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For action readiness. Action um, readiness. Yes. <laughs> but then there's rage, which is, um, they say an unguided anger. So anger with no plan of making anything better and rage is destructive. So it can be used to belittle or even be violent. Um, obviously no bueno. Yeah. Okay. So it's more about being active and changing something instead of fighting. Okay. It's good. We're all about simple takeaways here. Right. It's good (laughs) to be angry, not to be violent. (laughs) Perfect. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of good things to think about. We'll definitely put that article in the show notes. Um, did it give you any good takeaways? Yeah, I think like as far as what um, to do, like what are we supposed to do? Right, right. Um, It has some really good advice for like separating out um, like those two closely related emotions. Um, Just educating yourself that rage is dangerous enough. Anger versus ignorant rage is toxic. Um, Using anger for good action, like to go to meetings, meet new people, sign petitions, speak Mm -hmm. up. Um, and my favorite is ask yourself, would I coach my child to ask, act this way? So based on the emotions I experience, would I coach my child to say the things I'm saying, post the things I'm posting, form the boundaries I'm placing, et cetera. So that's a really, really powerful. one. I think Mm, that's really good. I I love that you even brought up the word boundaries. I feel like we need a whole episode on boundaries. Mm, Okay. Let's do that next. Yay. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Beef. So much to think about. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you so, so much for listening. Thank you for being here. A very special thank you to all guests and sponsors. A really special thank you to Taylor Schroll for mixing and editing. For more content, you can head over to Instagram at Allison M. Sully and TikTok at Sullivan Family TikTok. You can also check out Forte Catholic and subscribe there where you have a 25% chance of hearing me co-host. I am so grateful for all of the love and support that we offer each other here. Today's show was a production of Allison Sullivan in conjunction with the Forte Catholic Podcast Network. For more great Catholic podcasts, head on over to ForteCatholic.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.